I understand that this was your first ayahuasca ceremony. It's my first any ceremony. Amazing. Amazing. And uh, it was a back-to-back -back experience. It was two, two nights in a row. Yeah, about. And sometimes it's very, again, beautifully horrific, as you put it, right? But yet we come back that second day. That's amazing. What compelled you to get to this point where you're willing to jump into the unknown in such a powerful way? What was it? What got you to the point where you said, hey, you know, ayahuasca might be a pathway for me? So first of all, I've always been into self-improvement and I want to uh, I want to be the best version of myself that I could be. I want to be the best dad. I have three kids. I'm not the best dad. I want to be better. Um, I know I can be. I don't know how. Um, I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better brother, son, you know, friend, um, business person, uh, human. And uh, I always look and keep an eye open for opportunities that will make me grow. But more importantly, the real reason this came up was because I have a very dear younger brother who went through a lot of very difficult times. Um, at, at times he felt he was at the end of his line and um, he tried everything. Um, so many different forums and groups and uh, retreats and medications, chemical-based ones, and also shrooms and all this other stuff. The only time I heard him say, I really feel like my life changed for the better, of course, uh, was ayahuasca. And that alone made me say, yes, whenever you want, I'm in. Um, and, and that's what happened. And all four of our, you know, of, of us brothers, there's a fifth, but he wasn't able to make it. But the four of us uh, went in, uh, some blinder than others. I'd say I was probably the most blind because the others have done mushroom, you know, journeys and stuff like that. Um, I've done no journeys. Um, and so we just felt like if we're doing it together and it's safe and it's going to make us better people, I'm doing it. We're all doing it. Amazing. Wow. So strong. And it could be a great bonding experience, right? When you do it with your family. Um, it was incredible. Yeah. So you didn't have a lot of background on it, which is really cool, I think, because the power of suggestion is real. And sometimes we hear stories from other people. We do, let's say, too much research on the subject and it allows it to kind of influence our model of what it is and what it's going to be. And then we start building expectations and those expectations don't belong in ceremony because uh, they'll get undermined very quickly. So if I expect it to be a beautiful experience, I get the opposite. If I expect a tough experience, I might get the opposite. So letting go of expectations in ceremony is critical. Letting go of expectations in the greater ceremony of life is even more critical. So really huge, really beautiful. So you show up the first night without a lot of background. You're there, you recognize that you know, you're in a safe environment. You've done a little bit of the research to understand that you know, this checks all the efficacy boxes. We're all gonna be good throughout the experience, post-experience and um, you decide to drink a cup of ayahuasca. What happens next? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. I was devastated, right? My brother, who was here, he went through the throes of it. I mean, he was vomiting. He was lurching and he was crying and screaming. I'm like, I mean, I, I, I was scared for him, but at the same time, I knew he was, he was in the journey. He was doing something that was great for him. And here I am experiencing nothing. There I go again a failure at even taking ayahuasca and having it do something. If ayahuasca, the big kahuna, is not going to do anything to me, I'm hopeless. I got no hope. I'm just going to be stuck with my current self forever. And at that moment, the shaman comes over and she says, I think you might want a little bit more. 
<laughs> and I said, that sounds like a lovely idea. I had a little bit more, both times, of course. It was putrid tasting. And I was so nauseous just from the taste. And I still felt nothing. And then I looked at the cup and I had left a few drops in there. And I reached out, I don't know why, I reached out to touch the cup, dip my finger inside, and I felt some crazy thing overcome me. Something started happening and all of a sudden the whole thing started moving and I saw colors and lights and different crazy things. That, that felt like a psychedelic experience even though I had nothing to compare it to. Mm -hmm. And it was cool. Like I was just in the throes of it and some vomiting, whatever. Um, something was starting to happen, but I still didn't really get it. And I was still very, I mean, not really open to some foreign substance or life force or, or, or spirit being inside me. And that's what it felt like. Something was going through me. It felt like this big snake going through me. And my stomach was churning and, and I had like contractions. And I'm like, this is really strange. Get, get out, get, get away from me. And I started actually yelling, get out. And then I remember what the shaman had said before. She said, remember, this is good for you. This is medicine. It's not some substance that's probably going to mess up your life, which and if that had been the case, I'd be really, really paranoid at that moment. Mm -hmm. So I quieted down the paranoia and the fight and said, just let it be, let it in, let it do its thing. I have to trust. I have to have faith. Then I would fight again and I would shut down. And it was this crazy battle. Mm. Crazy. It was every essence of my being. What was, were you battling? I was battling myself. Uh. Absolutely battling myself. It was obvious. The urge to protect, like I'm a, you know, I'm a, a control freak and, and I don't want something else running wild inside me. I don't know what it's doing. I, I'm afraid of where it's going to go and what it's going to bring up. So I resisted. And then I had to fight with myself for probably a few hours of yelling back and forth. It sounded like a, a court battle with both lawyers yelling at each other, but it was all coming from me. Um, long story short, I eventually let it in and I relaxed and I said, just do what you got to do. And I put my hands like this. And uh, and I, I was just finally really in. You put your hands to your side for those people that uh, can't see us. My back was glued to the floor. My hands were glued to the floor. I couldn't even move. Unless I maybe really consciously tried to, but I, I wasn't. When I stopped fighting it, um, I felt like I went in an elevator from the ground floor into the basement. And I'm looking up at the world as it's receding from view. And I'm seeing it from a completely different standpoint. I'm not in it anymore. I'm watching it. And where I am, I feel spiritual energy. And I'm not a spiritual guy. I'm really not a spiritual guy. I grew up in a very religious household. And I kind of rejected it for the most part um, because it was so like, foreign to me. Like, I don't, I believe what I see. And, and I don't feel anything to make me suggest otherwise. Like what I see is real. What I don't see is not real. End of story. And, and I see these scientific debates about whether there is a God. I feel there's a God. I feel I have belief and trust, but I'm not a spiritual being, and, and at least in my consciousness. And uh, I feel it's a little foofy, you know? So those were your thoughts about the subject, but here's the experience of something other than I was than dumbstruck. I was like, like, like a train hit my, my head. I was like, what do you mean? It's real. It's all real. I'm yelling. It's all freaking real. It's been real the whole time. And then I look up at the world and I see all the people going through their motion and the rat race and the, the hamster wheel. I'm like, and that's BS. That's been BS the whole time. 
how twisted is this? How warped have I been my entire life thinking that all my issues were, were real and then issues causing other issues which cause other issues and it's all a pile of dung. How stupid am I? That was my first like realization. That's It was so powerful. So that's powerful. The whole thing right there, man. You yeah. can't unsee that. Cannot unsee that. Right, right. And that's that that's the rebirth. Yes. It it started pretty early on. Once I started feeling it, within probably 40 minutes, I was at that realization. And that realization was so shocking to my system, to my core, that I literally repeated those words out of just shock and 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 like surprise and and actually some kind of relief, you know. Because if it's not real, then a lot of my pain doesn't deserve to be there. That's so huge. We should end the podcast right there because I don't even want to talk any further. We'll just confuse the matter. That's it. Like, that's it right there. That's the whole thing. Amazing. On your first time around. Wow. Wow. Sweet surrender, huh? But where does it go? Where does it go from there? Like, there's more to the story than that? Yeah, there's a lot more. And so... What then happens is I start looking at other aspects of life and I, I'm I'm looking at, you know, a few major deaths we had in our immediate family, uh, really horrible circumstances, uh, untimely, really bad. Um, and I was like, okay, well, well, that's real. How could that not be real? And then I see the people that passed and I'm a ball of energy or some kind of energetic force. I don't know if I could have even seen. I looked down at my body and I couldn't see anything. All I saw was my heart, my soul, and energy. And I, like this kind of like I was looking at an x-ray of myself. And then I looked at my brother to the right, my brothers to the left. I couldn't see them, but I could feel them and I could sense their spirit there. And when I was shouting, I was shouting at their spirit and their spirit was talking to me, although they weren't actually talking to me. Mm-hmm. And we were having a conversation. And then all of a sudden, the spirits of my deceased relatives were talking to me now. And, and, and when I saw the one who committed suicide recently, I said, why, why, why? Like, why would you do that? Why would you throw your whole life away? And at the same time realizing, but the whole life wasn't really thrown. Because maybe that's not even real. Maybe I'm living in some kind of imaginary you know, universe. And then this has all been real. And he's at peace. And he didn't answer me at the time. But... I looked at him and he was just happy. I'm like, so who am I to say that he's not where he should be and he should have been there? His spirit wanted to be where it is now. He looked happy. My sister who passed when she was young, she was there happy. You know, so I'm like, you know what? Maybe it's okay, which was a pretty big realization. And this is coming from a materialist, or at least a former materialist. Absolutely. So it's amazing, right? Absolutely. And I'm still a materialist. So it's I'm still like replaying everything. Like, Going through the struggle. To a degree. To a degree. But it's not as absolute as it was before. And it never will be again. Ah, Welcome to the party, my friend. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So then I start getting more into it and understanding, well, what what are the implications of this? What about my dad who had cancer? What about, you know, my grandmother who had Alzheimer's? Is that real? Is that not real? What's imagined and what's real? I couldn't make sense of it all because this was such a sudden realization. What came to mind was that maybe diseases are not imaginary, but brought on by other factors like pain and suffering and things that we do to ourselves. And maybe on to cancer wars where people spend 20 years to be a specialist in understanding it. Maybe if we actually had a more peaceful existence with ourselves and our minds and our bodies 
in our relationships, maybe they never would have had that that cancer. Not to say it's not real, it's very real. Um, maybe all this stuff is brought on by other factors and, and all these institutions that exist to solve this thing. Not that it's a joke, but it just felt so meaningless because if you understand what it's all coming from, there's no point to all that. Self-inflicted. Self-inflicted. Yeah. And so it's not that it's real or not real. It's a, let's say, a degree of reality, not the absolute reality. Yes. And it has a temporary quality which negates its absoluteness. Because if it's temporary, yes. right, it's not the whole thing. Right. And, and these were ideas that I've come across in, in reading and in a lot of therapy sessions over the years uh, with psychologists. And but you got to experience. That's the thing. I started going back to what they said after having just seen it in front of my eyes. And I'm like, oh, that's what they were talking about. And what made me, it made me think like, 25 years of therapy trying to discover these things and here i am staring right at it in a couple of hours mm -hmm. of, of drinking something going through this experience how many dollars would you uh, assign to those tens years of thousands tens of thousands but the time and the effort and the endless search the endless struggle to who am i what's my purpose what 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 does this pain mean and you know what do i do and uh, i'm talking and i looked at all the talking and talking and that i've been doing and yap 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 i'm like years of talking i just wasted and here it is in front of me i feel like the biggest idiot in the world well you didn't waste it because all that got you to that point but that's what, just what i felt at the time but you're right, right. had i not done that I, I that planted a seed right this right. fast tracked it like uh, a, a million times so, so two, two at this point and you know two two finger yeah. <laughs> uh, something that Mother Nature produces willingly on tap blew away countless hours, countless dollars. Yeah. But again, you can't judge that backstory because it got you to the point. Yes, it's not nonsense. Here. But, right. but part of me felt like this was all noise. It's all noise. Everything is noise. Right, which you wouldn't realize if you didn't have that kind of relative right. comparison going never on. occurred to me in my right. life so that's a blessing we don't look at it as you know a failure it was actually a blessing right on schedule right on cue that got us to this point what else okay i'll tell you another discovery um at that point i'm not going to fast track to the other discoveries there were too many and that happened and this is the first night right this is the first clear. night it's in the beginning the of the first night and i remember things i will tell you it's very clear what i went back for uh, it was perfect the way it was. I don't. I can't even imagine it. I felt like a completion of the second episode. So the shaman before we started uh, gave us a bit of a history of like what ayahuasca is, and she told us that in Peru they called it the tree of life. Now, having born, been born Jewish and brought up studying about this my entire life, the tree of life was the first thing you learned about. Mm -hmm. You know that uh, you know Adam and Eve were in the garden and they were in bliss and they ate from the tree of life. Right. And then it says their eyes opened and they knew and they saw. And I'm like, that's what just happened to me. And I see, I see things that I didn't see before. And now I know. And I was like, that is powerful. And somebody who's not in tune with, with the religion that I grew up in, I, I, I'm very involved, but I'm not in tune on a spiritual level enough as, as much as I feel I should be. This confirmed that everything I had studied my whole life was so real. I just couldn't appreciate it because I was so covered in crap and mountains of dirt that had to be cut through like a saber. 
the spirituality that I studied as a kid, my dad was a rabbi, is a rabbi, and they talk about the physical realm being a reflection of what's above the sky and then the water reflecting the sky. So I saw that it was complete reflection, except one seemed more real now than what had seemed real and the only thing until then. Uh, so that was another thing to affirm all the spirituality that I'd studied my whole life, to see it and not just to try to believe some teacher that I didn't really respect. And it's reorienting the perspective, because as we read some of the stories, we externalize it, thinking it's other people, other things, other times, other places. But no, it's just kind of a cute little way of pointing us back inside, saying, hey, this is all playing out within you right here, right now. There is no linear time. It's like, here it is for you as a mirror. But we have to read it the right way, so to speak. We have to allow it to be a reflection of what's going on in here. And so in this way, the external world is a mirror. Exactly. And you mentioned time and place. So in the philosophy, the Jewish philosophy that, you know, Kabbalist ideas, there is no such thing as time and place. Mm. It's only a manifestation of the physical world that God puts here so that people can have a frame of reference or whatever. And when I went into this place beneath what seemed like going beneath the earth, um, there was no time and place. I was talking to people that died 20 years ago, people that died three years ago, and people that were next to me all at once. Right now, right. Right now. And I was like, time and place is just a fabrication. What a crazy idea. I was like a kid in a candy store for the first time, going looking around like, oh my God. And and that also was a bunch of nonsense. And that too, and that thing that drove me nuts for 15 years, that's nothing too. And then beyond that, it got into looking into my body. And all I saw when I looked at my body and when I looked at kind of the, like this white wall in front of me, I saw blotches. And I would look at one blotch and I would feel an intense pain in my stomach, upper, lower, mid, right, left, different parts. And I was like, what is that? And it would kind of zoom in like a camera and I would feel the intensity get stronger in that spot. And then I would start to see what that was. Oh, that was the suicide right there. Oh, that was this thing that happened to me. Things I didn't even think about, mm-hmm. you know, when I was three, when I was two. I don't remember how far back it went. There was no time anymore. So I was able to look at everything. And Oh, that's that. That's that. It was like putting a puzzle together. And then every time I identified what that blotch was on the wall and inside me, the blotch disappeared, went either up and I vomited or down and I ran to the bathroom. I swear to God, it was incredible. I had a lot of trips to the bathroom. <laughs> which, is rare, which is beautiful. Those are blessings. Yeah, she talked about so purge. identifying all the stuff that we're holding unnecessarily. All these dead dreams that we're holding that are residing in us need to come out. They need to be purged out one way or another because they're not doing this any good. Something got purged. And again, I forget what it represented, but something powerful over there. Amazing. Yeah. Is that how the night concluded? No. Whoa. No, I, I continued having what I can best describe as contractions. Yes. And, and it was like it was like a tour. And there was this guide guiding this process along. The vision I had was a snake rhythming inside, going from play. And, and my brothers were telling me, and I remember as well, that my body was lurching in different directions. My stomach was going up and down, up and down, as though there was, uh, you know, when there's an exorcist or <laughs> something like that. Possession. Possession. It felt like I was possessed, but that it was doing something good. Uh-huh. As opposed to freaking out because there was something. But it was moving around. It was moving around. My, uh, how else was I being lifted in the air? And my leg would flap and my arm would flap. And then I would be twisted like this and I couldn't move. And then 
you know, then when I had to go to the bathroom, suddenly I was able to get up and go. I, it was, I had to gingerly go, but, you know. Some might liken it to a surgery of sorts, removing everything that is uh, harbored inside that is inappropriate, um, which is a beautiful thing. It felt beautiful. It felt cleansing. And that's why when she came to me and I looked like I was going through like World War Three. And she was like, are you okay? And I'm smiling. And she's like, yeah, he's okay. <laughs> because it was doing something so powerful and so necessary. You know, 40 years of crap was going out. And I'm like, no, keep it going. I don't care how painful it is. Like, it wasn't pleasant vomiting and running to the bathroom and having these contractions. I know what my wife feels like. You know, what women feel like giving birth. You know, to an extent, it felt, it felt pretty horrible. Um, but... I was just so happy about you recognize uh, the value of it. Yeah. This is doing something epic. Um, I started going to the people in my life that I had consciously come to the ayahuasca ceremony to try to fix things with mm -hmm. my wife, my, my, my three kids. Um, I have so a you say going to them. We're talking metaphysically here, right? metaphysically, right. metaphysically. I felt their energy. I was talking and they were right there. Yeah. And I said, I'm so sorry. And so I, I did like this, outreach <laughs> to the people I loved, talking directly to their energy, wondering at the time, are they feeling something right now? I wonder if like they're dreaming about it. It was like two in the morning. So on a metaphysical level, you were actually doing it and engaging with these people and energies. But when we drop down into the mind, then comes the doubt and all the questioning, right? So it was happening on two levels at once. One was as real as real could be for you and you were embracing that and actually engaging on that level but on the lower level on the level of matter and stuff there was the doubt and the questioning there was the question and then there was also the the feeling of maybe there's so much power to spirituality that i can talk to her soul she might not consciously know but something inside her may have right, been affected the, right right soul to I soul was playing with that idea yeah. while saying this and i was saying it to the spirit it's of the people in the room idea. next i'll be very clear with you it's more yeah. than an idea so, one other thing i forgot sure, sure this was powerful the brother who asked us to come mm -hmm. uh the one who had experienced ayahuasca two or three times before mm -hmm. i had purged in the bathroom for the hundredth time and he came outside the bathroom door and he said, is it okay if I hug you? Mm -hmm. And we hugged for like a half hour. That's amazing. So strong that like, he's very strong. I was cracking and I didn't care. <laughs> and, and I, and, and, and he was like, I just wanted you to see what I, what I saw. I wanted you to understand. They wanted you to know I'm not crazy. Um, I wanted you to, you know, to see my pain. And, and I said, I see you, I feel you. I'm so sorry if I caused any of this pain or if I, you know, didn't handle it well. I've, I'm, I've always cared about him a lot. And I, I, but I'm a, I'm a fixer, you know, I, I, I like to solve problems. So I solve all his problems. I'm like, what do you want to solve your problem? And it's never enough. I'm like, come on, I'm solving your problem. This just, just stick with it. And, um, I finally understood what that probably feels like. Mm. Uh, and I apologized to him and he apologized to me. And, and it was a beautiful, beautiful moment. And, and then he was like, but I don't know what to do. I still feel the pain. And I said, it's all nonsense. It's all stuff you're telling yourself. We were still in the, the journey, but we were already coming out a little. So we were able to have like a pretty, like a pretty deep conversation based on like logic. And we were clear. Mm -hmm. and, and I said, you know, and I started feeling down his back and I was like, that 
right here, let that go. And I would go down like that. And I, I've never known how to do that. I don't have any sort of, I'm not in touch with my feelings, you know, but I was just, and he was like, thank you. Thank you. That makes me feel. You are, and you do, you just think otherwise. That's the block. It's the thinking, right? right? Because that is innate to you because look what you were doing. You are able to heal, but it's all of our kind of misconception about what healing really means that precludes us from living that level of reality on that kind of higher plane. So how do we even begin to talk about the second night? So again, boom, you decided to drink a cup of ayahuasca. I was psyched. Stories should start. I was psyched about the second so night. Decided My to brothers were like all nervous. I don't want to go through that again. I'm like, are you kidding? This is great. Like, this is the best thing you could ask for. Get me started, you know, <laughs> because I just want to get back into it and, and get into the unfinished business. Um, so we started it. And this time it took me no time to get into it. Like, boom, I took it. I was in it. And uh, what happened the second night, it was more about problems that I, I've been facing in my life, like struggles, you know, okay. Instead of a specific memory of a specific issue, it was more about feeling those blotches were now still there. Mm -hmm. Maybe the ones from before, the night before were gone, but these were other ones in the same area. They represented fear, shame, greed, like every bad emotion had kind of like an ulcer kind of thing yeah. there. Yeah. And I was cleansing that out too. Not as much purging, but a little bit, a little bit. Um, and then it was more of a meditation to try to understand those feelings and try to figure out why I have those feelings and how to get rid of it. So it was very therapeutic. And then there was a lot more of the engagement. You just yeah. mentioned meditation. Yes. Do you meditate? Never. Oh, but yet you just said this meditation? Was, this was meditation times a million and, and I've never done it. So um, it's interesting. She woke us up to go to the fire again. I'm like, but that's it. I was just getting in. I didn't feel like, like I was in it faster, but it wasn't as intense. And I was like, you know what? I feel bad. I feel like I, I didn't get the experience I got last night. I wanted that intensity. Mm -hmm. So I got into it right away and I have so to wait three hours. You were holding something, right? The experience of the previous day, you built a model around that. Yes. That built up an expectation. Now you created a disappointment, right? So disappointing. expectation into the thing. Yes. Right. So disappointed. And when the shaman said, okay, guys, we're going to move outside to the fire. I'm like, last night, that was the end of it. I'm not ready to say that's it. And then I go back to my life. I'm not equipped. And the stuff wore off. Like I didn't feel it that much anymore. I, the contractions had slowed down. Like every so often I'd feel like a lurch in my stomach, but it wasn't powerful anymore. And I was like, you know, it was nice the second night. It was therapeutic, but I'm really sad. And uh, and I told the shaman, you know, I'm really sad that it's over. She's like, it's not over. We're just moving out to the fire. And in fact, it's just beginning, but that's another. Yeah, yeah. Story. And that's that's true. Um, and then my brothers were kind of like talking like we were the first night at the end of it. And then I laid down and all of a sudden I got into the most intense meditation. This was a lot. If I had been doing meditation my whole life, this would still be a lot. And I didn't feel the, the ayahuasca that much because it wasn't the contractions and it wasn't the purges. It was just breathing and my mind. And I was worked up into something really powerful where I felt endless energy flowing up and down and endless emotions. And I felt primal. I felt like an animal. I felt like Darwinism, you know, survival of the fittest came into play. I'm like, you know, we're all just these 
bits of energy and souls vying to get born, like only the strongest, the strongest swimmer gets born in the first place. And then once you're in this life, you know, everyone's trying to beat the other. And I'm like, what is this all for? Am I just a primal being? Am I just an animal that just, and if so, then what's the point of all this? You know, there's going to be a stronger animal than me. And then another thought came like, yes, but what separates you and your destiny and greatness from not greatness is choice. Mm. And this whole idea of choice came into my mind and started meditating about choice. Like I could be much weaker than the next guy, but if he decides to smoke pot all day and gamble and I decide to fight my natural way of being and to try to, you know, strengthen my mind and my body and, and just try to get to the next level of whatever it is my mission might be, then that choice is what really brings people to greatness. People don't just become great because they were born great. Like Bill Gates, you were talking about before, if he was born with greatness, but he sat around and just did nothing with it, I don't think he would have just like subconsciously achieved his greatness. I think he had to fight even with this and he had to push. And so that's a choice. I have to get up. And I felt so weak on the one hand. I felt weak. I like, I just want to rest forever. I don't want to fight anymore. I don't want the race anymore. And then another emotion would overcome me and it would say, but you have endless energy. What about the greatness that you were destined for? And I'm like, but wait, was I destined for greatness? Maybe I'm just a schmuck. Who said I have greatness? Who said? It's just some stupid belief. Maybe I'm imagining it. So you're getting an awareness of greatness, but yet you're trying doubting to override it, it yes. right? Yes. Through the doubting mind. It was a massive debate right. going on. This battle between the soul and the ego. And as you know, the ancients say, which one wins? Well, the one you feed. So be careful with how much you feed that doubting mind. Right. It's interesting. So ego death was something that somebody had mentioned. Mm -hmm. And he was like, just think of it as ego death. <laughs> okay. And then I experienced ego death the second night. So I, the first part of that by the fire episode or journey, uh, it was like, I'm really nothing. I have nothing. I'm not any special, you know, being, I wasn't destined for anything. I'm really just a nothing, nothing to anybody. And I started seeing visuals of people I've met who are truly great, who truly changed the world, who move markets. And I'm like, those people achieve greatness. I'm nothing. I'm just nothing. And I'm never going to be anything. So after the ego death was like, but I can still choose to be great. Maybe I won't be as great as them. Maybe it's not a freaking comparison. It's not a competition. Right. Stop comparing. And then I started meditating about stop comparing. Comparison is the thief of joy for a reason. Yeah. And I didn't know that. I've never heard that before, but that concept certainly yeah. came to the fore. So you know what? Being nothing is actually the best thing because once we become nothing on a physical kind of level, on the physical plane, we become everything on the soul level and we let that be our reality and we identify more as the soul instead of identifying so heavily with this temporary body mind which is rooted in matter which we know is fading every moment of the day so there is no kind of lasting reality to matter and stuff and once we can let that go we can embody that ego death in the here and now and that's an integration that's more powerful than those market movers that you speak of. That's what you're doing here and now for other people. You are literally changing lives by expressing yourself in this way. And that cannot be measured or compared against anything else. Even if I focus on that, I find myself reverting back to my old way of being, like my 
my kids, you know, came to school this morning. They drove me so crazy <laughs> that um, like it's it's so hard for me to go back to my calm place that knew me and then my kids are like daddy you got to go back to that daddy school you went to last weekend because you're you're raising your voice again i'm like oh god daddy school. Right. i love that they, they thought i told them i went to daddy's school well they heard it from so i don't know they, that's great that's great that so was they how they explained there, where right? i was yeah they're beautiful teachers the children are right they are but they're also driving me crazy but that's the teaching because how else would you have the indicator to fall back into the meditative practice so the idea is of course bro you're going to kind of oscillate between the two places but ultimately we've spent a lifetime building up that other place we've spent a lifetime reinforcing the body mind identifying as you know the material self and so if we spent a lifetime doing that it's not going to be over the course of you know one or two nights that we're going to undo all of that and dwell in daddy school it takes a little building up it takes a little repetition um just like you know exercising you know you in the beginning it's uncomfortable it's easy to fall back into the old habits but then when i recognize there's a value in exercising i stick to it right i build a little habit out of it from the habit i keep working on it, it turns into a lifestyle what what are your uh practical uh suggestions to have like a workout regimen for the integration well, it's really the breath. I can't overstate it enough, but people think it's like, you know, we, we, we glance over it because it's like, oh, it's too simple. I need, you know, I, I need nuts and bolts here. I need something really practical. Yeah, exactly. I need this kind of, you know, framework to work on. No, dude, it's literally the breath. Just keep coming back to the breath and just really be aware of the breath, not try to manipulate it, not try to think about it. Just literally when we get caught up in the head, become aware of the breath, literally become aware of the breath. It's that simple. So it's not like you have to have a certain program every day where you stop and lie down and meditate for 10 minutes in the morning. You don't have to do anything. You might want to do that after a while. Is that more effective than trying to meditate while you're sweeping? I wouldn't say one is more effective than the other at this stage of the game. I would say that they all work in a complementary fashion. It is whatever you like, so long as you do it with kind of intention. If we allow ourselves to get into that meditative state, it might be some mundane kind of repetitive action that we previously thought was trivial, like sweeping the floor. But again, if, if we allow ourselves to be fully present in that moment, we'll realize, holy shit, I'm not sweeping the floor at all. I'm meditating. I have a thought to share with you. Please. So part of my struggle, as I mentioned, is to, when I experience something beautiful and something magnificent and life-changing, the fact that it seems to not be life-changing after all, because I revert back to my old self, scares me, concerns me, and, and you've given me some tools and I really appreciate it. But what also gives me comfort is seeing amazing things happen. So I just wanna share something with, yes. uh, with you and your listeners. I love amazing things. So there were a bunch of things going on that came so close to canceling my participation in my brother's ayahuasca uh, weekend. My wife had to go into emergency surgery Friday and she decided to get a second opinion and wait until after the weekend, until Monday to get it done. And we ended up having the surgery on Tuesday, this past Tuesday. Uh, and everything went well, thank God. So that was one very big thing that like some force trying to not let me go to ayahuasca. Then my newborn has been really sick and they found a big infection and we weren't sleeping. Nobody in the house was sleeping for the past two weeks and that's gotten a little better. And then we had this big trip that we've been planning for a year this Tuesday morning. And uh, we, we don't have the newborn's passport. Uh, we have all our family meeting us and fan, whatever from all over the world. It's a big deal. 
in my work, we had this thing that we've been working on for two and a half years, uh, a deal with a major company. It was going really well. And then a change of staff at that company. And all of a sudden, what was amazing, they almost wiped it out. We found out that a new boss was going to be speaking at an event in New York. And at the ayahuasca ceremony, I told myself and actually my brothers afterwards, this employee of my company who can't walk is going to turn the whole situation around and win that person over. Okay. And I felt that it was going to happen. Something about, you know, willing something into being mm -hmm. and that passport situation. I don't know how I'm going to figure it out. And then I'm going to be able to handle my kids better. I'm going to go to my wife and make her better as much as I can. Now, listen to this. My employee, my colleague, who I was hoping would be good enough to, you know, have enough energy to get out of bed with a walker and go to New York and from out of state and make it to the event. And the odds, it could be a thousand people at that event. They're going to get the guest speaker who's like everyone's coming for. He's very sought after. He's the most sought after person in our industry. They had a, a they, they emailed back and forth this morning. We have a meeting set up for next week. And he said, we are going to turn this around. This is exactly what we need. Thank you for giving us this opportunity. We're going to make something big happen here. And she was like, I'm so happy. I was feeling so useless. I was in a hospital bed for three weeks. And, and here, and I said, no, you're not useless. You just came and saved us all and turned our whole life around. And this happened, you know, this morning, last night and this morning, and then coming here and getting the passport thing. And, and all of the things that have been plaguing me, like they, they evaporated. Manifestation is real, but it requires no doubt. Doubt pollutes it. It taints the well. And um, that countered my doubts. It countered my doubts because if it all failed, I'd say, you see, my negative self was right. My negative self is very strong and it likes to be right. And I proved it everything wrong. Everything is in a corresponding counterbalance with everything else. So if your negative self is so strong, guess what? Your soul is so strong. And what I was about to say is that everything that you just described right now is a testament to the fact that your soul will not be denied. We just should give it free passage to do its thing and get out of the way so we don't think otherwise and taint the well and allow this divine power that we're all tapped into to do its thing. And so, again, the name of the podcast is Getting Out of the Way. I'm, I'm going to get out of your way now. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please share it with your friends and family. Subscribe, rate, and share so that we could do our part in spreading the light and diminishing the darkness.